This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Radio Astronomy, the podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. You can subscribe to the print edition of the magazine by visiting skyatnightmagazine.com or to our digital edition by visiting iTunes or Google Play. Since 1964, the BBC science programme Horizon has been informing UK audiences about the biggest leaps in human endeavour, from medical breakthroughs to the latest computer technologies, and from ancient history to the study of distant galaxies and supermassive black holes. For this episode, I got the chance to speak to Alec Nesbitt, one of the programme's most prolific producers, ahead of the release of his new book, On the Horizon, which tells the -the behind-the-scenes story of some of Horizon's most inspiring episodes. I started off by asking Alec how the concept of Horizon came about and how he came to work on the show. I wasn't in Horizon quite from the start. That, uh, I, I, I got interested in astronomy long before that, when I was a child. In fact, the second and third authors I ever read when I learned to read were um, Eddington and Jeans. Uh, then at university, I read mathematical physics, but there was some physics involved in that, which included um, some astronomy, which was my favorite bit of physics. I'm, I used that as a kind of banker uh, for my finals, uh, and it worked very well. Uh, I had a, a lecture, but I thought uh, if we ever ever needed somebody uh, to work in uh, radio or television, this would be the man. He was really good. He t- really turned everybody on to astronomy. Uh, uh, but when I got into, uh, was trying to get into from radio, BBC radio, to uh, BBC Television, uh, they asked me, is there anybody you particularly like to bring with you in the science field? They didn't think much about science. They, it, this is when BBC Two was originally about to start up. Uh, they, uh, I suggested my favourite lecturer, and they said, no, 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 we've got Patrick Moore. Patrick Moore was already going at that time, and the Science and Features Department came later than Sky at Night. Uh, I, I still got the job though, and I went. I found my way to the Science and Features Department. Spent some time being an assistant producer, and 
after about five years of that, Horizon started up. Um, it was going to be the flagship science program from our department. Uh, after a while, uh, I uh, saw some programs that were really good, and I rang the producer of the program that I really liked, which was about smoking, and said that was really what Horizon should be like. And a few weeks later, he was um, promoted to editor and asked me to come and join him on Horizon. Uh, I was expected, I think, to make Horizon a bit more uh, tough going, a bit more rigorously scientific, uh, because many of the producers at that time weren't. The first five years of Horizon, in fact, were pretty sticky in um, and it took quite a while for it to find its feet. When I started on it myself, um, the what I, I wanted to make a, a, an astronomy program quite soon, but there was a problem with that because we also had from science and features department um, some uh, special uh, science specials which were two hours long and. They had had one called The Violent Universe, two hours on everything in astronomy that possibly could be. What, what could we do to follow that? Um, it was suggested that I would go and ask an astronomer. <laughs> Professor Jim Ring uh, su- uh, pointed out there's the astronomy of the Crab Nebula and the astronomy of everything else. You can take one or the other. Uh, I chose the Crab Nebula. Uh, and we never looked back from there. What was it about the the Crab Nebula that made you think it was such a good subject for for a program? It's got so many layers to it. Of, of so many things were discovered, one thing after another, um, with uh, pulsars and uh, all that sort of stuff. Uh, my favourite bit was was Jocelyn Bell, who had a, a field full of washing lines, and uh, she discovered pulsars. Uh, and that's kind of Nobel Prize winning uh, type of stuff. But of course, she didn't get it. Went to Tony Hewish, her tutor, because graduate students don't get Nobel Prizes. And that, that was the crab. Uh, uh, for a while, I didn't do too many other astronomy programs, but along came uh, along came Halley's Comet. Uh, so I was going to cover that. Uh, I did two programs. One was the uh, the uh, before it arrived, what we knew about Halley's Comet, Halley's Comet, the apparition we called it, um, and then for, for the actual encounter with Halley's Comet by Giotto, space, Giotto spacecraft, the ESA spacecraft, which was one of the many that went to uh, uh, Halley's Comet, um, we did a live program, and in order to do that, we had to uh, have a lot of people involved which actually included uh, um, Sky at Night. It was a joint program between Horizon and Sky at Night, which I was producing. Um, we had some of that at the um, uh, Octagon Room at uh, 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 in London, where, where the original Halley's uh, telescope had, had been mounted, uh, and some in Darmstadt, which is where Patrick Moore and his, his team were located. So we were doing this from several different locations, and I was in a television center trying to link everything together. Uh, that worked very well. In fact, um, when it, uh, Giotto got to its next encounter, 
with Greg Shellard, um some years later. Uh, I'd left the BBC by that time, uh, and I heard that Isha wanted to have uh, uh, somebody to make a, a live television program from them, from Darmstadt. Uh, I, I put in a bid for the job from my own production company, put together, which I got uh, the, the job, and uh, put together much the same team, uh, offered it free of charge to Horizon, so it was uh, going to be shown in this country too, uh, which, was, which was very good for ESA. They wanted it shown. Uh, and so, again, Patrick was in Darmstadt uh, with Wendy Sturgis um, producing him, and we had a big studio there too. Heather Cooper was the presenter in the studio there. Um, and um, so that was another aspect of the work that I did uh, in the field of astronomy. Yeah, it's it's interesting you're talking about the um kind of uh, collaboration with um, the sky at night. Did did you ever feel that uh, you were that that Horizon was in uh, competition with Sky at Night with regards to its coverage of astronomy in space? Uh, no, never never felt any competition at all. Um, we, we were doing our own thing that was entirely um, separate from Sky at Night. We, we never nobody on either side felt any problems with that. Uh, Sky Night was somewhat later in the evening on BBC One. Um, we were slightly earlier and uh, generally mid-evening on BBC Two. Different audiences slightly, I think. I made I made a uh, hundred different programmes, of which forty-four were uh, Horizons, and um, about maybe up a, up to a dozen were had astro- astronomical subjects. We also I mentioned Violent Universe which was the two-hour science special. And in due course, uh, I was um, uh, making my own um, uh, two-hour science specials, one of which was um, uh, uh, one of which was uh, a key to the universe, we called it, which, which was a mixture of astronomy and particle physics. Two hours of that, the, uh, the particle physics was extremely tough for our audience, uh, and the astronomy made it much easier to watch when we switched between those two things. But linking those two things in one program was uh, uh, pretty good. That was in uh, uh, 1977. And later I made another one. Um, I made four of them in all, but um, two were had some astronomy. And the other one was called Origins, which was looking at how our origins, how we came to be here. We look backwards through from now back to the Big Bang, uh, stage by stage, and then came fast forward and right back to the present day and uh, looked forward then to um, AGI uh, 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 into um, what follows us, I think, in due course. Yeah, it's uh, kind of interesting thinking about the uh, breadth of the Horizons episodes and all the different subjects that were covered. How, how do you think generally the kind of space and astronomy themes went down with audiences? eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Um. Let me just go back to what I was doing in the, in the meantime. Uh, I was looking at uh, 
Hubble, Hubble's uh, background, the story of Hubble, uh, and the, his discovery of the expanding universe, and then taking that story on uh, from there through um, quasars and various other things, uh, the story of astronomy as it developed until uh, the present day as it was then, which was in the mid, um, mid-80s or, or so, um, and so we did some programs of that kind, and gradually then we got back to, uh, I picked up the Hubble theme again. When I was about to leave the BBC, uh, I wanted to have some more programs in the bank so I could go on making programs, because it was nothing better than making television programs on science, as far as I'm concerned, and astronomy was the best part of that. I persuaded Horizon to take a series of four programs and these would show how the Hubble Space Telescope was built, how it was launched, and all this marvelous future of, of uh, the great discoveries that it would make with its cameras and all the other instruments that it had. Uh, and that was absolutely fine, and it took off. And then it slightly went wrong, because a man called Chris Burroughs, at the Space Telescope Science Institute, a British um, guy there, noticed that there was something slightly wrong with the picture as they were sort of getting it fixed up. And Chris Burroughs uh, gathered uh, the people at STRI, uh, Space Telescope Science Institute, and they realized they had a small problem with the mirror. It was just a little out of focus. Uh, so I had to change the title of the first program. It originally was about the sharp, I'd called the first one Sharpest Show of the Universe. <laughs> and it wasn't anymore. Uh, so I had to change the title uh, for a repeat. And after that, I then spent the next uh, couple of years uh, following what they were going to do to put it right. And I, um, I eventually found my way into the Perkinelmer uh, works uh, uh, where they had screwed it up in the, in the first place. Uh, I don't think I would have been allowed in, but I I, I cottoned on to one of the uh, uh, investigating scientists who, um, and took my cameraman and soundman inside and we looked at the, at, at the precise places where it had all happened so we could explain all that. And after that, then we went with the all the leaders of all the uh, and people who were dealing with different instruments uh, and how they were going to change them around and repair them and replace them, put in a new box eventually that was called CoStar, um, which got the uh, mirrors more or less back into focus, almost exactly into focus, not absolutely perfect, uh, and never was from then on, but you can't really much tell the difference. There's just a few pixels out. <laughs> so uh, I then was able to make a program about what all the other instruments were doing while the, um, the CoStar was being put together and various. By that time, the Hubble Space Telescope was actually pretty much of a mess. There were about 10 things wrong with it by the time CoStar was finished. Uh, so I went to see the astronauts who uh, were going to do the uh, go take up the replacement part, co-star, and, and about, uh, as I say, about 10 other things. Uh, interviewed the one from ESA and uh, several others. Uh, and 
then I could intercut that with the footage that we were getting from Goddard um, in America uh, to show exactly what happened for a whole program of repair in space. That was really exciting as a program. All four programs uh, from um, Hubble Space Telescope, the HST ones, were entirely different. It wasn't just a gradual process uh, like I had originally intended it to be. Uh, one was this uh, repair, which was uh, an amazing adventure story, and the disaster story, uh, and the construction story originally, and uh, one that was purely about the science that they could get without ha even having mirrors, which was, there was quite a lot of that. So that all went down very well. There were several other things then that uh, we did. Um, we had, um, I made one for a program called Antenna, which was on BBC One, I think, um, which was little bits of pieces that were put together into a single program. And the one I uh, did for that uh, was called Reclaim the Night. And it was a campaign to get streetlights um, uh, out of our skies. And that, I think that was rather good. There was a man called David Crawford in Tucson, Arizona, uh, uh, where the lights from Tucson were uh, d not doing a good job with Kitt Peak uh, being uh, fairly close to it. And as, as the astronomers were using Kitt Peak, um, uh, instruments, they got into, they were getting into trouble. That, so that uh, was improved with, by Tucson being one of the first places to be um, have its street lights put right. A few other places also got that, and I think there's now some more realization, better realization that's necessary. And it's good because it means the rest of us can see the sky a little better than we could uh, when the street lamps were all pointing up into it. It's it's really interesting hearing you kind of talk about the um, how the ideas for the programs came about and, and the different behind the scenes um, aspects because that's that's really kind of one of the most enjoyable parts about about your book uh, on on the horizon. And I, I was wondering, was it difficult when you were writing the book to actually go back and and remember from all those years ago all all the all the different anecdotes behind the shows and how they were produced? Was was it a difficult kind of book to write? Uh Every show was different. Um, I think we did things in different ways for uh, all the time. In fact, I produced, which included finding the money for the programs. Um, uh, I directed most of them, um, and I then wrote most of them as well, the ones I made. The two-hour sign specials were written by somebody else, but, um, um, uh, uh, but for the Horizons, I wrote nearly all of themselves, with one exception. Um, because we had to travel quite a lot, it would be helpful if we could get money from some other sources than simply from BBC Two. Their budget was pretty small for us. We got nothing like as much money as many other series did. Uh, so we arranged co-productions with other uh, companies in other, other parts of the world. And the ma main co-production company that we worked with was actually a, a kind of offshoot from Horizon. Um, a guy called Michael Ambrosino was sent from Boston, Massachusetts, WGBH, to the BBC and have a look round and see not only how the BBC did things, but also when he got back, they asked him, which programme would you like to, which format would you like to uh, start up here? 
He'd been working in current affairs the whole time, and he chose not current affairs, he chose Horizon. So they borrowed some people from the BBC uh, as producers, not me, um, and, but they followed our format, uh, and they had initially a, a, a Horizon producer was editing it in the States at the start. Uh, and uh, for the very first series, they chose some of our programmes, uh, one of which was the Crab Nebula, which we, they decided never to have one like the Crab Nebula again, because for their purposes, they said it was a bit dense, too dense, too much in it. My programmes had too much content uh, in them. Uh, they, had, they wanted it a little bit lighter than that. In, although, as far as I was concerned, uh, it wasn't heavy going. Uh, my theory about television programmes is the unique, uh, that on serious subjects is that you need to make them also primarily in a kind of way entertainment, but entertainment from the neck up. <laughs> uh, uh, and that always worked very well. Content was all. What, what I was all concerned, uh, mostly concerned with. One of my colleagues there uh, um, really wanted to tell, to tell stories about people. Um, we had a bit of a conflict over uh, our different ways of doing things. Uh, he was still there after I left, and uh, so he won in the end. Um, uh, so everything everything was different. Every, we travelled... We, we did our research first. We chose a subject, um, persuaded the editor of Horizon to take it, or he might have suggested that he, uh, he, he suggested I go and see Jim Ring uh, about the crowd. But mostly we would choose our own subjects and persuade them to take uh, our ideas. Uh, and then we'd research them very thoroughly, first of all by telephone, then we'd travel to wherever it was, which might be somewhere far away, um, work up the story, um, and then uh, sh uh, shoot it. The story would turn out to be not like it was originally intended to be quite a good change. And then as it changed, it improved very often. It got to be a better story. Um, and then we had to take that back and show it to the editor when it had been edited and uh, as always happens uh, and he wants changes made and you can tell him why they, the way we're doing it is the best one anyway uh, uh, but everything was different and um, a lot of the most exciting adventures uh, uh, were not so much the horizon ones even though it was quite fun doing um, uh, uh, programs that took me to Hawaii um, to uh, Mauna Kea and chase up to the top. One of the things that happened at Mauna Kea, on Mauna Kea was that we were making a, a, a film that required us to go up there and we decided that it was going to be um, a bit of a rush if we went up all the way. We stopped two-thirds of the way up so that we wouldn't fall over when we got to the top. And we also took some pills to help us uh, get some more oxygen into our bloodstream at the top. The camera crew wouldn't have those. Um, uh, we had a lighting person organised to come up because we were going to go inside um, some of the domes and so on. Uh, and he rang us at the last moment. He got a better job, he said, or that's what we assumed he was saying. Uh, so he sent up uh, a young woman instead, and she came up on the morning in question, got to the top and fell over. 
So we had had to send them back down again. So we lost our lights on that completely. <laughs> uh, during the day, although he, he'd been with us for uh, the overnight, uh, two-thirds of the way up, the uh, ca- cameraman, his assistant, uh, his assistant, when he got to the top, uh, rushed around so excited, looking at all these cam- uh, these telescopes around him, he rushed around with the camera and started taking his own still photographs, and he fell over, um, and he had to be sent back down. And as time went by, the cameraman himself was getting more and more irritable, and um, uh, when we were doing the shoot inside, uh, we had to stop halfway through uh, because he had to go back down as well. This was at the end of the program we did, and so I'd lost the last two shots, and I had to fade them out during the closing credits. It was it's, it still worked. We got it okay. We had one program that I did not um, shoot, uh, shoot myself. The co-production for once went the other way round. I, I didn't lead the co-production as I would normally do because if you have a producer who does the leading of the, the job, but the, um, uh, the it was done by uh, WGBH and they sent the their finished program over to us and it, it was about the sun um, disappearing from the telescopes up there and they were, and all the amateur astronomers were at the bottom to see the eclipse and they didn't because they, they, it was obscured by a cloud but at the top they could see it and they made the program and they sent it to us and when we got it with um, uh, the woman who was uh, doing the adaptation for the BBC discovered one awful thing the, the British content the from the British telescopes uh, there was nothing there. They hadn't done that. They had a, 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 they had only American telescopes and and, and so on. Uh, the British work I ha- had to be reconstructed in retrospect, um, and the people from Rutherford Lab and so on. Uh, I had to go and see them and see them building their instruments, like their instruments, and then reconstruct the work that they did on the. the uh, the, the one uh, British telescope that was working, actually a Scottish telescope, um, uh, and uh, uh, that uh, was the one time I didn't produce. I, I include that in my 44 Horizons because I did so much work on it <laughs> um, with the British. Throughout the um, <clears throat> your, your time in the show, were there any um, kind of astronomy or space themed topics that you wanted to cover, but you couldn't? Um, I think I covered any topic that I actually chose. Um, there was quite a bit of cosmology involved in it. Um, both of the two, uh, two-hour science specials, one was the uh, key to the universe, the other one was the origins one, um, had lots of um, astronomy in them. Uh, and... Um, uh, um, Stephen Hawking was in those programs. In the days when Stephen Hawking um, still had a voice very faintly, he wasn't using this machine voice at that time, but very early in his uh, in Stephen Hawking's um, uh, famed career. So we had um, uh, things on black holes, quite well, a lot of stuff on black holes, um, starting with Stephen Hawking in these older programs. And there were in uh, quite a number of the horizons as well. 
So pretty much anything, and we could go anywhere, so that was okay. I mean, but Sky at Night would be having to stay most of the time at home, more than we did, um, I think, although I wasn't watching that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the really the really interesting things about the book, is is that you provide this kind of behind-the-scenes... Um... Uh, the, the book is very autobiographical. It yeah. goes into a lot of detail about how we did it, and many of the chapters... Uh, tell extremely different, very different stories about how we did it. Um, uh, and astronomy was in, as I say, quite a lot of them, but other things like the first program about AIDS and so on, um, or, or the program where I went to the Sudan and was telling the story of how they were trying to bypass the sort of swamp, uh, all those kinds of things. Uh, they, they had more adventures in them, or the, the adventures often turned out to be in those programs. Um, well, yeah, it's it's a fantastic book, and it's it's really really insightful and really interesting to read. Um, so um, yeah, I just but I just wanted to say um, thanks thanks for speaking to me today, Alec, and uh, you know, g- good luck with the book's release and everything. And um, yeah, thanks thanks for appearing on the podcast. Right, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Radio Astronomy Podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine, which was produced in our Bristol studio by Jack Bateman and Ben Hewitt. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skyatnightmagazine.com or head to iTunes, Acast or Spotify. Spotify.